Africa, rise and shine. Africa, zola. Africa, amka na unai. Good morning and a very warm welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa from an African perspective coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. We are on DSTV's audio bouquet channel 802 and on www.channelafrica.co.za. I'm Lulu Gabu. In studio with Anne Musa, Tabisolo Hoko and Figile Lingwati. In our top stories on Africa Rise and Shine at the Sawa, Zimbabwe's opposition leader Nelson Chamisa appeals for food aid and African governments agree to criminalize falsified drugs. In economics news, South African delegation in Davos says the country is well positioned to attract investment. And in sports news, Ghana to play South Africa in World Cup qualifier. But first up, the news with Anne Musa. SABC News, independent and impartial. From an African perspective. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musa. Police in Lesotho have requested Prime Minister Tom Dabane to appear before the country's Deputy National Police Commissioner in connection with the assassination of his estranged wife. Dipulelo Tabane was assassinated in June 2017, two days before her husband's inauguration. Tabane and his current wife, Meezaya, are allegedly linked to the assassination. This is the second time the Prime Minister has been asked to appear before the police. The first was in December. Meanwhile, the First Lady still at large. A warrant of arrest has been issued against her. Zimbabwe's opposition movement for democratic change leader Nelson Chamisa has appealed to the international community to continue to give aid to the country. At least 7 million people in Zimbabwe face food shortages due to hyperinflation and climate change-related drought. The country has been experiencing day-long load shedding and has limited access to fuel. Chamisa made the call in the capital Harare on Tuesday as he spelled out his party's plan of action for the year 2020. International partners, please help us. Hear our voice, our voice, where we are crying for you to help us. Forget about our problems in the country. Help us on the humanitarian front. Help us on the health front. Help us to feed people. Please, please help our people. Otherwise, we will lose lives because we have a serious drought that is going to affect our country on account of our proper, improper planning. Parliament in Burkina Faso has voted in favor of a new civilian volunteer force to defend the nation against terrorist attacks. The president still needs to agree to the law, which could happen by the end of the month. The draft law says that the volunteers would sign a contract with the state for one year. They would receive medical insurance if injured and that the force would receive financial support from the state. Local media also reporting that the volunteers would receive an initial 14-day training. The measure was first proposed by President Rock Mark Kabore on the 7th of November after an attack by suspected Islamist militants. 
The U.S. Senate has rejected repeated Democratic attempts to secure new evidence in President Donald Trump's impeachment as his trial began. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell backed off on a plan to fast-track the hearings. After coming under pressure from fellow Republicans, Trump is charged with abuse of power and obstructing the congressional inquiry. He denies wrongdoing, the BBC's Chris Buckler reports. President Trump's lawyers will say that he has done absolutely nothing wrong, not gone beyond the powers of his office at all, that this is a political prosecution by the Democrats. The Democrats will say he used his position to try and influence Ukraine into launching investigations into his political opponents to try to help him win the upcoming election in November. Now, those are serious allegations, and you do get the idea that over the next days, the Senate is going to be involved in very, very argumentative discussion But frankly, with the Republican majority in there, it looks highly, highly unlikely that President Trump will be removed from his office. At least nine people are now known to have died due to a coronavirus outbreak. This has emerged in the Chinese city of Wuhan. Chinese health officials warned that the new virus could mutate and spread further as they step up containment measures. Authorities have confirmed 440 confirmed cases and that human-to-human transmission of the virus has taken place. China's National Health Commissioner, Vice Minister Li Ben, spoke to reporters. We have received... Reports from 13 provinces and municipalities with confirmed cases of 440. And there are reports of new cases, 149 confirmed cases. And that's the news headlines at 7.30 Central African Time. SABC News. Independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Follow Channel Africa on these social media platforms. On Facebook, Channel Africa One. On Twitter, at Channel Africa One. And YouTube on Channel Africa Radio. Our website, www.channelafrica.co.za. Channel Africa, from an African perspective. Zimbabwe's main opposition party leader, Nelson Chamisa, has presented his 2020 national agenda on Tuesday, where he made an appeal for food aid to the hungry citizens. Chamisa explained his party's position on national dialogue with President Emerson Nangagwa and pledged to fight corruption starting within his own party. Simon Wichema has more from Harare. Zimbabwean opposition leader Nelson Chamisa addressed the nation during his 2020 national agenda presentation in Harare on Tuesday where he made an appeal for food aid to save the lives of more than 8 million people. The appeal by the 41-year-old Movement for Democratic Change, MDC, leader is the first of its kind and comes at a time when the country is facing serious climate change induced challenges including a severe drought. At least 8 million citizens, including those living in cities, are on the verge of starvation owing to drought and high food prices unless the world responds to the 338 US dollar appeal by the United Nations and 200 million US dollars by World Food Program. Chamisa urged donor agencies to set aside his differences with President Emerson Mnangagwa and save lives in Zimbabwe. 
So we are making an international appeal for the humanitarian support and assistance to people in the rural Matebel land, Mashona land, Masingo, Manika land, Midlands, international partners, please help us. Hear our voice where we are crying for you to help us. Forget about our problems in the country. Help us on the humanitarian front. Help us on the health front. Help us to feed people. Please, please help our people. Otherwise, we will lose lives because we have a serious drought that is going to affect our country on account of our improper planning. The MDC leader took the opportunity to explain why there is an impasse on the political dialogue with President Mnangagwa following mediation attempts by the former South African president, Tabombeki, in December. I have extended the hand of peace. I have extended the hand of rapprochement. I have extended the hand of dialogue to say for this country to move on, it takes two to tango. Let's dialogue about the issues affecting the country, but genuine dialogue underwritten by the international community so that we are able to resolve all the issues of reforms that are fundamental to move the country forward. Anything short of that, I'm ready to be in the wilderness for as long as is necessary until the objective here as Zimbabweans, yeah, it were realized. To the extent that you will support me and you are with me on that principled position. Chamisa reminded Zimbabweans of the lies the country has been subjected to for decades. Is it not ironic, ladies and gentlemen, that as we come, fellow Zimbabweans, this is the 2020. That 2020, which in 1997, we were told in 2020 we are going to have housing for all. In 2020, we are going to have health care for all. In 2020, we are going to have education for all. In 2020, we are going to have jobs for all. What do we have now? Where we are supposed to have health for all, we now have debts for all. Where we are supposed to have jobs for all, we now have joblessness for all. Where we are supposed to have education for all, we now have educationlessness for all by 2020. 2020 has marked the unveiling and revealing of a lie that was given to us by those who thought that the time would not come for their lies to be discovered. But what have they done? They've taken a step further because they've realized that 2020 has come. They are shifting the goalposts. So we have heard none of these promises. As sure as the sun will rise tomorrow, time has come to test our resolve and has found us wanting. We have no health care, no housing, we have no universal education, we have no jobs. Chamisa said his party enters into the year 2020 with five agendas that include the fight against corruption, fight for legitimacy, fight for the restoration of people's rights, and the respect of the rule of law. He accused Mnangagwa of failing to deal with the machete-wielding gangs that have brought lots of fear and suffering to the general population. Number four is a fight for the people's rights, freedoms, and security of persons, and the rule of law. together as a people. to defend ourselves. We have a soft genocide taking place. I've listened to our colleagues in Zarupia at a high level. Nobody, none of them has condemned the crisis we have in the country. Of organized command initiated from the top violence, which is challenging the security of persons. So this is going to be very important, particularly as a fight 
with all its tentacles and levels. In Arari, Zimbabwe for Channel Africa, this is Simon Muchemwa. Zimbabwe is hosting the 6th Africa Regional Forum on Sustainable Development in February at Victoria Falls. It has been revealed. The 24th to 27th event will run under the theme 2020 to 2030, a decade to deliver a transformed and prosperous Africa through the 2030 Agenda and 2063 Agenda. Since the adoption of the 2030 Agenda in 2015, five sessions of the forum have been held with the last one hosted by Morocco in 2019. This is meant to allow member countries to review their own progress with regards to the achievement of the 17 SDGs as well as learn from other countries the, their best practices. Simon Muchema reports from Harare. The Zimbabwean government has revealed it will be hosting the sixth edition of the Africa Regional Forum on SDGs from the 24th to the 27th of February in Victoria Falls. The forum is expected to be an action-oriented event that brings together member states, civil society organizations, the private sector, United Nations agents and other stakeholders. The aim is to explore, gain insight into, share and agree on sets of concrete and workable plans that will enable countries to achieve the SDGs. At least 1,200 guests will be hosted at the forum where Zimbabwe will assume the chairmanship of the forum for the next one year. According to Sinom Langa, Chief Sub-Regional Initiatives Officer of the Economic Commission for Africa, most countries are struggling owing to poverty and inequality. From the review which was done last year, most countries are still off track in the SDGs. The, the most uh, uh, difficult SDGs are the first one, SDG 1, on poverty. Poverty is still quite prevalent in most African countries. And the other SDG, which is, uh, uh, for instance, we were saying that about 300 million people were, uh, were registered as, as poverty reading in 2013. That figure rose up to about uh, 450 million the next, in the next two years, in 2015. And that figure continues to rise. The other SDG, which is still a problem, is uh, the SDG uh, 4 on education. There, there's still a lot to be done in terms of investment in education. The other SDG, which is a, a challenge, is also uh, which speaks to all of us is SDG 8 on decent work and economic development. The forum comes at a time when the host nation is struggling to cope with the effects of the four successive droughts, 2019 Cyclone Idai in Land province near Mozambique, as well as economic challenges. Mutlanga indicated that countries will be given opportunities to review themselves, starting with Harare and the host town, Victoria Falls. For the first time, Zimbabwe has also been included in what we call the voluntary local review. The local review is going to go to the local, at the local level. So the local review, Harare City, the city of Harare was chosen, was selected as the sort of the pilot for a local review. So at the same time, we've started undertaking a local review, which involves the grassroots. So we're starting from the ground and we're starting in Harare. So basically the voluntary local review fits into the voluntary national review. So that we are doing the, the national one, we are not doing it from a vacuum, we start from the local. Zimbabwean Minister of Labor and Social Welfare, Sekai Nzenza, said the forum is a precursor of the July forum on SDGs to be hosted by the United Nations in the USA. The public 
in Zimbabwe, particularly the youth, the women, the disabled, and everyone else is also encouraged to participate in this forum. The forum is also expected to prepare African countries to effectively participate in the 2020 high-level political forum on sustainable development that is going to be held in New York from the 7th to the 17th of July, 2020. This will happen under the auspices of the United Nations Economic and Social Council. There is need for the most African countries to urgently adopt and accelerate measures to implement the SDGs through the Agenda 2030 in order to achieve the Agenda 2063, Minister Nzenza said. The thrust and format and expected outcome of the Africa regional number has got a number of considerations and key recommendations by member states and other stakeholders, notably both at the 2019 Africa Regional Forum and also noted at the 2019 High-Level Political Forum. The sixth session of the Africa Regional Forum on SDGs will therefore conduct a regional follow-up and review of progress, facilitate peer learning and advance transformative, sorry, transformative solutions and actions in order to implement the 23rd agenda as we move towards Agenda 2063. In Arari, Zimbabwe for Channel Africa, this is Simon Muchemwa. Just a reminder, Spotlight Africa, a feature program that showcases and highlights African issues from an African perspective, can be heard every Wednesday at 1000 hours UCT, with repeats on Wednesday at 2000 hours, Thursday at 300 hours, and Sunday at 1300 hours UCT. Listen to Spotlight Africa a program that interrogates issues from an African perspective. Spotlight Africa. Public sector doctors in the Democratic Republic of Congo went on strike on Monday after the government failed to meet their demand to have their wages increased. Channel Africa's Januel Bamweze has more from the capital, Kinshasa. The strike underway since Monday here in the Democratic Republic of Congo was called by the National Union of the DRC Doctors, well known as Sinamed. The strike has entered its second day this Tuesday as the public hospitals doctors are demanding the country's government to increase their salaries and to stop deducting tax from their risk bonuses and social allowance. Instead, the doctors want the tax to be deducted from their salaries, although they are not satisfied by the salaries they get. And once they are hit by a 15% tax pay, this becomes a serious shortage. Dr. John Senka is the executive secretary of the National Union of the Democratic Republic of Congo's doctors, Sinamet. 
Sinamed is prepared to pay tax calculated from the salaries and not from the social allowances such as transport and house allowance. We have visited some of the public hospitals here in Kinshasa and what we have realized is that doctors are in hospitals working but not as usual since they have organized the minimum or reduced the service. Only the emergency cases and patients already under treatment are taken care of and no new patients are being seen by the doctors unless this is an emergency case. What's true is that it's indeed the doctor who needs to confirm a new case is an emergency or not. The situation remains then complicated and the strike has to go on until the government and the doctor's union can reach an agreement on the two main issues and some others. Meanwhile, nurses are threatening to go on a strike as well since they need also the government to look into their situation and improve their social conditions. According to this nurse who's the head of the emergency service at the Kinkole Main Hospital in the east of the DRC capital city Kinshasa, the nurse is close to the doctor and both of them should be well dealt with. Jean Chipamba. When thinking about doctors, they have to think about nurses as well. We are close colleagues of doctors. In the coming days, there will be a day without nurses that will be planned. The doctor's strike has plunged the patients into fear and serious panic as they wonder what should happen if they find themselves in serious situation. Those who have spoken to Channel Africa have expressed their disappointment and called on both the government and doctors to quickly reach an agreement for more humanism. One of the patients has spoken under anonymous. I have come and at the entrance they tell me doctors are on strike. We call upon the government to be conscient and the doctors to remember they work by vocation. The Minister of Health has described the doctors' strike as a surprise since both the government and the doctors were still waiting for talks scheduled to start this Tuesday but doctors made their decision to strike. Jean-Noël Bamweze for Channel Africa in Kinshasa. While former Joburg Mayor Herman Mashaba will soon form his own political party, his peer, Musimai Mani, seems to be going in a different direction. This is despite a strong belief that the two will form a joint venture after leaving the Democratic Alliance. Speaking to the SABC on Tuesday, Maimani said he won't follow the conventional way of forming a political party. He said he would rather allow ordinary South Africans to decide what form his envisaged political formation should should take. Our political correspondent in Debomukobo has more. With at least 48 political parties on the national ballot paper in the 2019 general elections, Musi Maimani says it is always better few than many. After leaving his political home, the Democratic Alliance, last year, Maimani called on South Africans to engage in a political dialogue on what kind of South Africa they want and is currently soliciting views from those who care to listen. While his former ally in the DA, Herman Mashaba, indicated that soon his political formation will be launched, Musi Maimani seems to have a different take. 
Although being accused of blowing hot and cold on whether to form a political party or not, the former DA leader says, unlike Mashaba, only time will tell. We've had many engagements in the last while, and as you know, I certainly even in the platform have spoken about it. No challenge there. There are technical teams that are working out how do we roll out certain aspects. But really, as I say, it just can't just be Musi and, and Herman. And it's not the change. Where is the voice of sportsmen and women? Where is the voice of business people in our country? Where is the voice of... Where is the church? Why is the church so silent? It must be on board to be able to say, Rona is the church. This is the change we want to see. It's got to be brought on that. If you simply just say, if you want a political party, that's easy. Many parties being launched, and we're going to have many being launched. I think we can end up with a ballot list of 60 parties. What difference does that make? Build a movement. To his critics, Maimane said he won't follow the conventional way of forming a political party by going to a conference and elect its leadership. He insists his political formation and its leadership will strictly be decided and informed by ordinary South Africans. To simply just say you are another political party in the 48 political parties that exist doesn't resolve our challenges. You might think you go fast, but you go nowhere. Let us build activism. I want to know that Ukoko from Etuchua, Oganye, a young person who is unemployed, is able to stand up and say, this is my movement. It is truly a movement by the people and for the people. When you then formalize, you say you're just a political party, then naturally I must come back and say, who will be the Secretary General? That's not the business of what we are about. Because the danger around political parties is that they quickly become factionalized, quickly become about positions. It's the very thing that has damaged so many organizations, that is off-putting to many citizens. But political analyst Stephen Friedman said forming a political party would be a tall order for both Maimane and Mashaba. But he commends Maimane for consulting widely before he embarks on that route. The problem that both Maimani and Mashaba is that they were both in the Democratic Alliance. We have seen time and time again at DA conferences that the structures of the DA, the branches of the DA, are dominated by white men. So if they're going to take away members from the DA, they're not going to take away branches and they're not going to take away structures because those are controlled by people who will be loyal to the white leadership of the DA. That is why I think Maimani is right to at least try and build up a social movement so that by the time he forms a political party, he does have structures and networks that he can rely on. But I'm very skeptical of anybody's ability to form a political party and be successful in this country unless they have strong networks on the ground. Meanwhile, Hemen Mashaba's political dialogue will continue later this morning with a joint media briefing with the representatives of the families and colleagues of the three miners who lost their lives in the 2016 Lily Mine disaster. I am Debo Mokobo in Johannesburg. Service delivery continues to be hampered as more municipalities across South Africa are placed under administration. Last week, the Makanda High Court ruled that the Makana municipality in the Eastern Cape province be dissolved and that the provincial government appoint an administrator to run the municipality's affairs. It ruled that the municipality had violated its constitutional mandate by failing to provide basic services to the community. Busichimombe looks at the problems plaguing local authorities and what efforts to stop need are needed to stop the rot entail. In the application brought by the Unemployed People's Movement and other civil society organizations against the Makana municipality in February 2019, applicants accused the municipality of corruption, 
failure to provide water and sewage services, and serious neglect of municipal infrastructure, leaving roads filled with potholes and garbage. In the municipality of Maluti Apufong, which includes the free state town of Kwakwa, communities have also been deprived of basic services. We are struggling with water, rubbish, so many things. And like in the rural villages, it's worse because here sometimes we do they, we do have electricity, but the water is a major thing and because it also affected the businesses around here. The pro- electricity problem is the bigger problem in other places, more especially in the rural areas. And then um, the water problem has been the problem since then until now. The community is not happy at all with our municipality. These communities live in just two of 40 municipalities that have been placed under administration using Section 139 of the Constitution. The intervention aims at the provision of corrective measures by provincial governments to municipalities to enable them to become sustainable and self-sufficient. Zugi Swakota of the Public Service Accountability Monitor says the protracted process of invoking the section is both a help and a hindrance. that um, guide this kind of decision so that it isn't just an ad hoc and isn't just a trivial, easy process. So on the one hand, the fact that it is quite um, an onerous need, you know, there's a need to prove um, inefficiency and maladministration or whatever form it may take. But on the other, um, this this does have some limitations in that, of course, it takes time um, to to create this body of evidence um, and, and... Time very often that is at the expense of um, residents. An inadequate revenue base, financial mismanagement, corruption and underperformance are just some of the contributing factors that result in certain municipalities being placed under administration. In dealing with these challenges, last year, government launched the district development model, which is seen as a key intervention for service delivery. Cooperative governance and traditional affairs spokesperson I think that's why government has decided to go with this district development model to, look, to say, let us review the way municipalities work. And this uh, district model will give us that opportunity to see what it is that we should change in how municipalities interact with the other spheres of government. Because that is where the failure also happens, is that municipalities uh, by and large would go and, uh, and uh, implement projects or without involving the other spheres of government, and that is not what cooperative governance is about. Most of the municipalities which are under administration are governed by the ANC. Party President Cyril Ramaphosa says it's high time public representatives shape up or ship out. The ANC will become more stringent in the selection process for all public representatives including setting qualification criteria for comrades who should be put on ANC lists. The ANC commits to consistent monitoring of performance of all our public representatives and that we will apply urgent remedial steps and consequence management for poor performance, for ill discipline, as well as for mismanagement. With the 2021 local government elections looming, much will need to be done by the ANC particularly to convince communities that it can deliver on its promise of a better life for all. Opposition parties will no doubt 
try and capitalize on the record of the failing municipalities and use it as a stick to beat the governing party with. That report by Busi Chimombe in Johannesburg. Our headlines up next with Anne Musa. SABC News. Independent and impartial. From an African perspective. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musan. The headlines, Lesotho's Prime Minister Tom Tabane ex- is expected to appear before the country's Deputy National Police Commissioner in connection with the assassination of his estranged wife in 2017. Zimbabwe's opposition MDC leader Nelson Chamisa has appealed to the international community to continue giving aid to his country. And the U.S. Senate has rejected repeated democratic attempts to secure new evidence in President Donald Trump's impeachment. Those are the stories making headlines. SABC News, independent and impartial. From an African perspective. 84,000 people were arrested in South Africa for various crimes between October 15th last year and January the 11th. Releasing the latest figures in Durban, South Africa's police minister, General Peggy Kele, says among those who were arrested are 173 parolees. Police Minister Pegitkale says the introduction of the national Sizachigizuti operation, loosely translated, things will turn, was a great success. One of the 84,000 countrywide arrests during this period, some 17,000 now find themselves behind bars. A subpoint has been in the increase in carjacking, truck hijacking, causes during the 2019 festive season. This increased by 11% and 9% respectively. Police action also resulted in the arrest of over 84,000 suspects for various crimes. This includes 173 parolees. These parolees don't fall under the category of remission that the president has just passed. But this figure tells us that we'll have to be very much alert of watching closely the activities of the parolees after they've been released. Says, drinking and driving related cases increased with more than 24,000 arrests nationally. More drunken drivers were also taken off our roads during the festive season. Despite our constant warning, education and awareness raised, 24,827 drunk drivers were arrested as a result of police action. 24,000. I'm convinced that alcohol remains the enemy of our society and is main driver of many conduct crimes. 223 illegal immigrants were also arrested in Deben alone. On the 1st of January, we arrested in two hours, two to three illegal immigrants in two hours on the beach. And this uh, was almost the first call for the, we had two South African police vans, they called them Umelego. They were both full and then we got another one from a municipality, got full. They're on the beach mixing with no papers, nothing, and where they come from, Nobody knew, but one thing we knew, they were completely undocumented as we are moving there. And there were some positive declines. The sexual abuse of women and children decreased by 9,9%. Women and children were also safer this festive season with sexual offences, which includes crimes such as rapes, sexual assault and attempted sexual offences, and decreased by 99 One thing that helped a lot, especially on the safety, was the decision 
properly implemented of hitting hard on alcohol. More than 4,000 firearms are confiscated by police, including those that were voluntarily surrendered. I'm going to circumvent in Tepin. You're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Gateway to Africa is our entertaining and educational tourism, travel and business show. Join us every Wednesday at 10 hours Central African time as we explore the tourism landscape in Africa. Make a date with Gateway to Africa every Wednesday at 10 hours Central African time. African governments have agreed to criminalize falsified drugs. Heads of state of seven African countries met in Lomé, Togo, to sign the Lomé Initiative, a political declaration to tackle fake medicine distribution on the continent. The governments of Congo, Gambia, Ghana, Niger, Uganda, Senegal and Togo, with the support of the Brazzaville Foundation, a UK-based charity organization, have agreed to work on the establishment of a regulatory framework that will criminalize the trafficking of substandard and falsified medicines in Africa. Samora Mangesi spoke to David Richmond, chief executive of the Brazzaville Foundation. Now, what are the driving forces behind substandard and falsified drugs? And if you could talk to us about the significance of the Lome initiative signed over the weekend. Yes, the, the initiative, I think, is, a, is, is potentially an extremely uh, important initiative because it has the involvement of the heads of state of a number of African countries. They are committing themselves personally uh, to take forward this initiative. And because it is a specifically African initiative, substandard and falsified medicines is, of course, a global problem. Uh, But it is most acute uh, on the African continent. So I think it's very important that African countries should be seen to be taking the lead in trying to uh, counter this scourge. Now, fake medicine can often be indistinguishable from the real products with the packaging is good, if not better than the original sometimes. Why would you say it has been so difficult to fight this problem? I I think there are many, many uh, different aspects uh, to this problem. But I think uh, in Africa there are problems uh, to do with uh, having the proper legislation, which is what the Lomi Initiative is all about. It's to put in place legislation specifically targeted uh, at uh, criminalizing the traffic in uh, falsified medicines. Uh, but we've always been clear that this is only the first part of a much larger program to ensure access to safe, effective and affordable medicines for uh, all the citizens of Africa. And legislation in itself is important, but there are a range of other issues that will need to be discussed, such as proper regulation, uh, the supply of good uh, locally produced um, pharmaceutical products. And uh, are porous borders also to blame for the fake drug distribution? This, I think this is a problem for, for many African countries, particularly some of those who have, been, who have signed up uh, to this initiative uh, in Lome uh, over, over the weekend. Um, there is uh, increasing evidence that the porousness of their borders is a source of serious, um, of serious public security issue for these countries because uh, a whole range of uh, problems, uh, narcotics, uh, weapons, 
human trafficking and trafficking in fake medicines um, is uh, promoted uh, by the uh, absence of, of proper border controls. Now, India and China, where most legal pharmaceutical products are produced, have often been cited as the major sources of counterfeit products, uh, as well while Nigeria is said to be the key entry port for Africa. Do you agree with this assessment? Uh, It is undoubtedly true that uh, Africa is very dependent on imports. I think the average is something like 70% of all medicines uh, sold in Africa have to be imported from outside. Of course, this figure varies from country to country. I suspect in Africa, the figure is rather, in South Africa, the figure is rather lower. But in many African countries, it's 70% or in some cases, nearly 100%. And it is true uh, that most of the medicines imported to, into Africa come from China and India. Some of these, many of these, are undoubtedly legitimate and genuine, but undoubtedly some of them uh, are, are substandard or indeed completely fake. And uh, do we know how many people may have died as a result of counterfeit drugs in Africa? Uh, it is, I think, extremely difficult to put an accurate figure on it. All I have ever seen is estimates. But one figure which is particularly striking is 120,000 children dying each year because of substandard or falsified anti-malarials. And you can see that if you cover uh, other age groups and other uh, diseases, the problem will almost certainly run into hundreds of thousands of victims every single year. Plus, of course, all those people who might not actually die, but are not cured uh, of, uh, of the uh, diseases for which they've been taking the substandard or falsified medicines. And the emergence of the Internet as a sales platform has brought another dimension to the problem. What role will the Brazzaville Foundation play in terms of identifying the gaps? Well, we, uh, you know, there's a limit to what any one single organization uh, can do, and we are focusing at the moment on this Lome initiative and on ensuring that African countries have the right legislative framework uh, for dealing with um, substandard and falsified uh, medicines. Uh, the Internet, you are quite right, is a, is a huge and new complication, um, but it's not, a, not an issue on which we probably have sufficient expertise to tackle. And that's David Richmond, Chief Executive of the Brazzaville Foundation, speaking to Samora Mangesi. Patients who stop smoking at least four weeks before an operation significantly reduce the risk of having complications after surgery. This is according to new research by the World Health Organization and Partners. The study found that nicotine and carbon monoxide, both present in cigarettes, can decrease oxygen levels and heighten risk of heart-related complications. The WHO calls on all countries to build educational campaigns into their health systems to spread awareness and to help people quit smoking. WHO's Kirsten Scutter is one of the leads of the study. So our findings reveal that those who smoke have a higher risk of complications when they go into surgery compared with people who don't smoke or who stop smoking. And uh, this is why we suggest from WHO that people that can delay their surgery, they should start stopping smoking at least four weeks before going into surgery to try to avoid some of the complications. Now, what are the common complications that people who smoke are likely to suffer from after surgery? Yes. 
So uh, the most uh, common complications are that the surgical site gets a bacterial infection. Uh, These are complications that result from the reduced immunity that smoking does to the body. And we also see complications around the anesthesia that people undergo. And these are respiratory and cardiopulmonary events, so um, heart and lungs uh, that get into problems after the surgery. You explained that what these findings suggest is that people quit smoking about four weeks before the surgery. Is it totally quitting or at least um, not smoking for four weeks? Because we know a lot of smokers are struggling to quit. Yes, we know it's difficult to quit smoking because the nicotine is so addictive. It is uh, included in cigarette smoke. Uh, We suggest that smokers who have problems quitting completely, that they should try nicotine replacement therapy to help them go through the difficult time. That can be in the form of patches applied to the skin or, for example, chewing gum that contains nicotine. Finally, are there any other crucial findings that we should take note of? Yes. So one other important finding is that children who don't smoke themselves but who are exposed to secondhand tobacco smoke, they also have a higher risk of uh, complications. That's uh, Kirsten Skutter from the World Health Organization on the line from Geneva in Switzerland speaking to Jane Rabutata. Our economics update up next with Tabiso Luhoko. Good morning. South Africa's finance minister, Tito Mbobeni, says National Treasury is working around the clock to try and secure the country's National Airlines 138 million US dollar bailout as soon as possible. South African Airways has cancelled at least 30 domestic flights between Johannesburg, Cape Town and Durban and 10 return flights to the city of Munich in Germany as it fights for its survival. SAA is running short of cash after the government failed to provide the emergency funding it promised when the airline was placed on voluntary business rescue last month. Speaking on the sidelines of the World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland, Mboweni said it was important for the funding of SAA to happen in what he termed a fiscally neutral way. Because we don't have an appropriations bill that can find an additional 2 billion rand. That has to come from other sources that DG Mukhajana is working on. But we have given our commitment that we'll try to support SAA as much as we can and that um, we'll work as much as we can to help. There have been mixed reactions from unions to the current situation at South African Airways. The National Transport Movement's president, Mashuru Rapeta, says that they are optimistic that the problems at SAA will soon be resolved. Funding will be made available before the end of the week. And um, we were also assured that um, workers will even receive salaries on time. And uh, we have passed the stage where we will blame um, anyone at the current moment. We are looking at government to 
ensure that it looks at the 10,000 direct employees that are uh, uh, I mean employed by SAA. Not only them, but even 45,000 of those who rely in the borders of the Republic. Meanwhile, South Africa's National Union of Metal Workers a spokesperson, Pagamile Tlubimachola, says those responsible for the SAA crisis should be held to account. We need to ensure that those who brought us to this disastrous situation are held to account. Government has consistently failed. They failed SAA, they failed workers. SAA has now collapsed, it's now an under business rescue. Government again in 5th of December through the office of the DPE promised us that there would be working capital to the tune of 2 billion rand, which would be paid out in good time, I might add, to fund the the business rescue program for January and February. To date, that still has not happened. The Portuguese bank Eurobig has announced it will end its business relationship with Africa's richest woman, Isabel de Chantos. The move follows an investigation by the BBC and partner organizations which uncovered a number of questionable deals by the billionaire. Doshanto, she says that the claims against her are entirely false. Her business deals ranged from Angola's state oil company, Sonangol, to its biggest mobile phone provider. The billionaire daughter of Angola's former president, Jose Eduardo Doshantos, holds a 42.5% stake in Europec indirectly via two entities, making her the bank's main shareholder. When her father retired as president in 2017, she was sacked as chairperson of Angola State Oil Company two months later. The U.S. dollar is trading at 360.76 Nigerian Nara, 1063 Botswana Pula, 99.83 Kenyan Shilling, and 14.54 Zambian Kwacha. In BRICS currencies, one U.S. dollar will cost you 4.19 Brazilian roll, 61.75 Russian ruble, 71.7 Indian rupee, 6.90 Chinese yuan, and 14.50 to the South African rand, 76 pence to the British pound, 90 cents to the Euro, gold $1,551, platinum $997 per ounce, brand crude oil $64.38 a barrel. It's Channel Africa. I'm Tabisolo Hoko. A sports update up next with Figile Lingwati. In this hour, in our sports update, we are betting off with cricket news. Aggression was the critical missing element from South Africa's under-19s in their underwhelming loss to Afghanistan in the under-19 Cricket World Cup opening game. They will need plenty of it, plus some smart cricket on top when they play Canada at the JB Max Oval in Pochefstroom today. South African assistant coach Chris van Noordweg says they would have to neutralize Canada's powerful betting unit and they have the bowling to do so. In Gerald Coutier and Achille Clute, they have a pair of young fast bowlers who've got franchise and first-class experience. The Canada game is a big one for South Africa's under-19 wicketkeeper 
Kanya Kondani. On to football news now. Bafana Bafana have been handed a fairly balanced draw for the second round of the 2022 FIFA World Cup qualifiers following the draw which was held in Cairo, Egypt last night. The South African men's senior national football team have been pitted against neighbors Zimbabwe, East African side Ethiopia and West African giants Ghana in Group G. There are 10 groups of four and only group winners proceed to the playoffs which will be played over two legs and the five winners will represent Africa in Qatar. Bafana were on the second spot in the seeding, and head coach Muli Finseki believes that a passage to the playoffs is possible in this group. Every draw is a tough draw because the expectation is that all the teams that are in the top 40, they are all playing to qualify uh, for the World Cup. So we are fully aware of um, uh, Ghana and their qualities uh, coming into the qualifiers. We are fully aware of uh, Zimbabwe, our neighbours. We are also fully aware of uh, Ethiopia that um, they've done very well in winning their prelim also against Lesotho to be in the top 40. So all the teams that are in our group will give them the same respect because um, they deserve to be uh, at this stage of, uh, of the qualifiers. So it will be a tough one, but we are hopeful and looking forward uh, to a good start in qualifying for the 2022 FIFA World Cup. History shows that Bafana have a poor record against Ghana in the qualifiers. They failed to qualify to the 2006 World Cup in Germany after losing both games against the Black Stars. Nzeki doesn't see this as a bad draw. I don't think it's, uh, it's good or bad, but I think uh, it's all about the fixtures because um, uh, we could have drawn any other team uh, because Ghana was in the top 10. So we had to pick uh, or to draw any team in the top 10. So we, we know what to expect from Ghana. They know what to expect from us. Um, they have just appointed a new coach in Charles. So I think um, the team will be looking forward to impress the coach. But the most important thing is that um, we are going to play uh, three matches against Ghana. We are left with uh, one match in the Afcon qualifiers and we are to play two matches in the World Cup qualifiers. So it will be a very interesting um, encounter against Ghana. The last time they took us to Cape Coast, which was very difficult for us uh, uh, when it comes to traveling and uh, player recovery. So this time I think uh, we'll go into this match uh, knowing the conditions, if ever they do uh, take us to any other venue in Ghana. But uh, it will be very interesting. Um, if you look at the quality of players that um, Ghana has got and the quality of players that we have, so it will be a very interesting feature whenever we are to play against Ghana. Cooler temperatures and clearing skies following torrential rain on Wednesday allowed officials to continue the qualifying tournament for the Australian Open. All of the early scheduled matches on the outside courts at Melbourne Park got underway on the time, while several matches previously suspended due to the poor air quality or the rainfall were rescheduled. That's the spot news this hour. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai.
Recapping our top stories on Africa, Razan Shanet Asawa, Zimbabwe's opposition leader Nelson Chamisa appeals for food aid, and African governments agree to criminalize falsified drugs. That wraps up Africa Rise and Shine today. From myself, Lulu Gabu, producer Pumuzura Magadza, technical producer Mario Edwards, and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at infochannelafrica.org or tweet us at Rise Shine Africa. Taking us to the top of the hour for the news is Black Diamond with a song titled Memeza. Shine as we 